Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. My Money and Me with Sumitra Naidu on Kaya FM, home of the Afropolitan. Right, we start this evening looking at the property market and ownership. It's now a buyer's market. Interest rates are at historical lows. The prime lending rate now is at 7%. Um, it's a massive saving if you're uh, taking out a home loan, which is normally uh, 20 years. The duration of paying off that home loan is 20 years. And for the majority, or at least for half of that time, you're paying off interest. So it's a massive saving. Now, with so many taking advantage of these low interest rates, buy a new home, what do we need to know if you've decided to buy with an intimate partner, with a friend, a business partner? My guest this evening is Anka Olafir Kok, and she's an associate attorney at Adams and Adams. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Good evening, Sumitra, and hello to the listeners. So, Anka, um, looking at you know the fact that it is a buyer's market. I mean, what do we need to know when we're going into you know this? I would think it's a massive undertaking. I mean, if you're taking a home loan and it, and you're going to be sitting with this um, contract for twenty years and paying it off, and you're not buying it with a partner that you are attached to in terms of a marriage. What do we need to know if you're going into a joint ownership? Okay, so if you want to buy a property um, with a partner and you're not in a marital relationship, you we always recommend that you also um, simultaneously enter into what we call a joint ownership agreement. Because um, once you buy the property, you both um, incur the liability under the bond. Obviously, you both um, enjoy, you have the full enjoyment of the assets. But down the line, when things get rough and you perhaps want to, um, you split up or you want to move out of the property, that's when it's nice to fall back on something like a joint ownership agreement that will determine how it will be split, who was liable for the maintenance of the property. You know, it, it just makes things a bit more clear cut. That's so interesting. So who actually draws up this agreement? Is it with the bank when you're doing the bond or do you need to um, have an attorney first? Yes, it will be um, the bank's will typically not assist with um, a co-ownership agreement. They might insist on it, but um, a normal property um, attorney will be able to assist you in drawing that up. Okay, so what are we looking at? I mean, is it expensive to draw up that kind of document? And what are what are the details of that document? I mean, you were talking about maintenance of the property. If you decide to go into this long-term relationship in, in terms of buying property, I mean, how do you actually split that? This is the first time that you've come together. How do you actually manage all of that? Is all of that detailed in this agreement? Yes, um, so a good idea would be to consult with the attorney and to discuss the the points that you would want to be um, addressed in the agreement. So things like um, who's paying for the debit order. So um, normally the banks don't allow for the debit order to be split between the two co-owners. They would preferably want it from um, one of the two owners and then obviously the other party will have to um, reimburse the party that's paying. Um, in other instances, you have an agreement where one party agrees to pay the um, installment and they rent out the property, so they basically cancel out the installment. But there's also things like maintenance to pay, so that will typically accrue to the other party. Um, what we've also seen um, 
in instances where it's a couple, um, there comes an issue of maintenance in. So let's say the lady, not the wife, but the lady in the mm-hmm. in the um, relationship, she agrees to, you know, buy the groceries and pay the gardener or whatever, and that is more or less equal to the installment amount on the debit order. So the um, male will typically say, okay, let, let the debit order come off of my account. So, you know, things like that um, will all be determined in a, in a typical co-ownership agreement. So that's interesting. I mean, so if the bank doesn't agree, then you, I mean, what does this do for the one person that actually, so say for instance, both parties want to actually pay part of that bond, maybe for tax purposes, whatever it is, they Mm -hmm. need to show it on their account. But if the bank is not accepting that, then how do you get over that? I mean, is this, I mean, if if you draw up the agreement, um, or, or could you actually put it into a separate bank account where the money is going in there so you can still on your bank statement account for it? Um, yeah. and, and then it's just going from one account into um, into the bank that you're paying for the home loan. From the bank side, um, I'm not sure what their requirements would be, but I would presume if you do open a separate bank account, that, that would then be in both your names. Um, I'm just not sure if, if they will allow that, mm. you know, if the parties aren't married, um, especially if they're not like married in community of property. But... Um, it's all, it's always something that you can negotiate with the banks. Um, we don't typically see that. Um, usually if, if the clients request that from the banks, it's, it's usually, um, rejected. But we, we usually propose that they, um, continue on one party's account and then, um, they just enter into, uh, either a verbal or obviously a co-ownership agreement whereby the other party reimburses their half share of the installment. If the parties agree that they are not going to do it, if they're not going to split it completely in the middle, um, see, you know, I'll pay a half and you pay a half, but maybe they'll say that I'll pay for this and you pay for that. So you use the example of, you know, the groceries and things, but, you know, earlier on, like, you know, you have the transfer costs and the attorney fees and all of that for in buying mm. the property. I mean, could you also have all of this in the agreement beforehand? Like I'll pay all of this and you pay for the installment for the next six months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good idea. Um, what we've also seen is instances where one of the parties might have, you know, a little bit of an investment saved up, which they can put towards the property to ultimately reduce the monthly installment. And obviously that party would want that um, initial deposit back should they split up or should they um, sell the property. So that's also something to take into account when you enter into that um, co-ownership agreement that you account for any costs that were put in the property prior to actually registering it onto your name. Anka, what are the other things that we need to look out for when going into a joint ownership? What are some of the challenges that you've come across or or not necessarily challenges? It could also be what are the things that people tend to not realize um, will come up, things that they haven't thought of? So the the most common thing is, is obviously when the relationship goes sour. I mean, everything is... um, all good and well while you're still in the relationship. You both parties are more than happy to um, contribute to the to the joint um, relationship or the joint liability under the property. But 
once the, the parties break up, um, one of them obviously wants to exit the communal home and mm. um, want to be, you know, reimbursed for his share or whatever he put into the property. And um, in the absence of a car ownership agreement, they will have to basically fight it out. So um, one of the things that, that come into play is the bond. So usually if the two parties buy a property, um, the bond will also be in both their names 50-50. <clears throat> if one of the parties exit, the party that wishes to remain or to take over full ownership of the property will also need to acquire the full liability in the bond. And that means mm. the full um, uh, liability for their outstanding debt or if it's a buyout kind of scenario, uh, um, we will need to acquire um, extra funding from the bank to actually fund the buyout transaction, which leaves them in a bit of a difficult um, financial situation. And um, that boils down to, you know, um, your affordability kind of um, talks that you'll have to have with your banker. I suppose it can get really, really complicated. I mean, you could have both parties, I mean, uh, you know, living in the house happily, but if one person, you know, for instance, loses their job um, and they're unable to make the payments um, and then, you know, if things go wrong and, and he just steps out or she just steps out, uh, mm. you know, for a couple of months, what then happens? Because then, you know, you talk about liability. I mean, we all know that if you're not paying a bond, if you miss a few payments, then this becomes a real problem on yeah. on the on the actual ownership. So if something like that happens, the bank will obviously come in contact with you. Um, and that would be a nice time to actually um, enter into negotiations with the bank to say this is what's happened, the main purchase or the main buyer of the house or the one that's um, actually settling the monthly installments has lost his job, um, what are our options, and then you go to the negotiation table. Obviously, if that doesn't work out, the bank will have to realize its security, so they'll have to put the property up for auction and then obviously eventually sell that. But I suppose you could actually um, uh, circumvent all of this if you actually have a really good agreement in place. Um, so you can always rely on that. Uh, essentially, you know, this is what's so important. Yes, yes. No, definitely. But if the parties don't have the funding to um, to service their, their home loan, um, that agreement won't really assist that much. Um, oh. let, you know, because the bank, from the bank side, they see you as jointly and severally liable. So if the one party can't um, come to the table in terms of the installment, they'll just claim it from the other party because the bond is in both your names. Um, obviously, you incur, um, you have like a, um, a claim against uh, the party that's not paying eventually, but mm. from the bank side, that's something that will happen in the background. Um, once they've um, like taken over possession of the property and they've settled their internal debt, that's something that the parties among themselves have, um, which is um, a claim arising out of you know something like unjustified enrichment. Um, but that's obviously a whole different scenario. How does it work uh, if you um, say, for instance, if we if we move now towards um, a married couple, if you're married in community of uh, property or, or you have an anti-nuptial, is this also in the agreement on 
who will get the property or is it just that, you know, if, if we part ways, um, the property needs to be sold? Does it always have to be the case? So with a marriage, your starting point will be your marital regime. So if the parties were married in community of property, they um, have one estate which needs to be split after a divorce. Um, mm-hmm. So if you go strictly according to that, the, the property needs to be unsplit. So I retain one half share in the property and mm-hmm. my ex-husband retains one half share. But obviously, if it's an acrimonious um, divorce, the parties don't want to remain co-owners in the property. So usually they would enter into what we call a settlement agreement. A settlement agreement will determine what happens to the joint property owned by the two parties that were married in community of property. And that settlement agreement will then be made in order of court. So let's say um, the two parties were married and they divorced and they decided um, in terms of the settlement agreement that the husband will retain the property. He will then have to apply at the deeds office to get the property, um, the title deed endorsed um, to the effect that he's now the full owner. And obviously with that comes the liability of taking over whatever debt there is still on the property should there have been a mortgage bond. But if they were married out of community property, your starting point will um, obviously be the anti-nuptial agreement. So with out of community property, you also have two um, veins, which is your with um, accrual and your without accrual. So if the parties were married with accrual, you have to calculate the accrual of both parties to, to determine if one of them have a monetary claim against the other party um, for his or her accrual. If they were married out of community property without a, um, accrual, then both just retain their, um, their half share in the property and they will deal with that, as I've explained, with your co-owners, your co-owners agreement. Sure. If somebody is wanting to buy a house right now, this is a lot to actually take in. I want to go back to when you were saying that, you know, for instance, if they part ways and, and you know, the, the, the partner decides that he'll take over the property, he needs to go to the deeds office. Does he need to go, does he need to pay all of, is it almost like he's buying the property from the partner or the former partner? So does he need to pay the transfer duties and all of that again? Yes, yes. So it will be similar to a a sales transaction um, in terms of the actual transfer to Mm. his name. Um, So usually you will incur the the liability of your your attorney fee or your deeds office fee or whatever other fees there are. But obviously that's something that the settlement agreement can also move away of. So um, it could be that the wife would pay everything to um, take the property off of her name um, and then the husband gets the property ultimately. Afropolitans, if you've just uh, joined us, uh, this is My Money and Me, and my guest this evening is Anka Olifir Kok, and she's an associate attorney at Adams and Adams. And we're talking about the joint ownership of a property. Anka, before I let you go, I mean, I'm looking at the insurance. So, for instance, I mean, we're looking at worst case scenarios, and you want to try and do everything to protect yourself. Can one actually take any insurance? Um, credit insurance against a loan, um, you know, for instance, if something goes wrong. So you just want to guard yourself against anything that could go wrong in the future. Is there some sort of insurance, credit insurance, for instance, that you can take out? 
Yes, definitely. So um, usually the bank will insist on your normal property insurance. That's just for the structure itself. If something happens to the property, that the bank's um, security will be safe. So the insurance company will pay out to the bank firstly um, whatever is still owing on the bond before um, the balance of that will be paid to the owner. Let's say the property is destroyed by an earthquake or a fire. Um, mm. Apart from that, you also have your, your life insurance. And in terms of life insurance, um, we we also kind of see it as a split. So you have a credit life insurance, which only insures the credit. So if something happens to you, let's say you are retrenched or you um, something happens, uh, like you get a disability, mm. um, you know, dreaded disease, or eventually you um, you pass away, that debt that you have in terms of um, your mortgage bond could be settled immediately by that life insurance. The other option is, is one that's not directly linked to your credit. So, um, so what we sometimes see with the credit life insurance is that, let's say on year 15, you pass away. So for 15 years, you've been paying your life insurance. Now you only mm-hmm. owe five years of debt to the bank. So obviously your insurance company will only pay the five years of debt due to the bank. The, the split side of that, which is the other kind of insurance that we see, is your normal life insurance. When you take out an insurance for, let's say, $2 because you, you start off with a $2 million debt to the bank, if you mm-hmm. pass away on year 15, um, the settlement amount to the bank will obviously only be the five years that's left on your debt, but the 15, the rest of the um, two million will be paid to your um, appointed beneficiaries, which could be uh. more beneficial. But um, that interest rate, the monthly installment usually is a bit higher than the, the credit life insurance because the credit life insurance they only based the, the installment on the actual outstanding debt amount. So it's a decision that the, that the client or the potential buyer will have to make. Very interesting. I suppose there's lots of thought and, 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 and a bit of paperwork that needs to go into uh, buying a property with somebody other than a husband or a wife. Anka, thank you very much for your time this evening. Anka Olafir Kok, Associate Attorney at Adams & Adams. My Money and Me with Sumitra Naidu every Tuesday from 8 to 9 p.m. Kaya FM, home of the Afropolitan. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.